You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSoundWeb podcast network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their line of pro studio headphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath. Check out the AHM Matrix family, AHM64, AHM32, and AHM16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Signal to Noise would like to welcome new sponsor RCF, pro audio manufacturer of professional line array, subwoofer, and loudspeaker systems, as well as portable sound solutions and audio tools for your production studio. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product to create unique experiences for customers and audiences around the globe. Visit RCF at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Signals Noise podcast. I am Sam Boone. And, so I'm joined, <laughs> and I'm joined by the already giggling. Oh, why'd you have to do that? <laughs> Chris Leonard. Wait. And Michael Lawrence. <laughs> How's it going? Everybody. Hello. Hello. Sweet. So... We are also joined by some other Ooh. friends. Yes. Yeah, I know. Right we are, yeah. we are no very house, excited no to talk about them. Yeah. No, let's just let's let it rip. Uh, no. So we are joined by by two of my dear friends from from Meyer Sound, Mr. Bob McCarthy and Mr. Josh Dorn Furman. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. 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 Welcome. So, Josh, I know you're joining us from from an, uh, the Greater Atlanta area. Yeah. 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 Atlanta. Is it is it hot for you? Uh, it's gotten, well, I was in Texas. Well, I've been traveling for two months, so uh, <laughs> I've been on the road in a lot of places. So it was hotter in Texas. I was in Texas last week, and then this week uh, it's like 89, 90. So I guess it's still hot, but it's not like Texas hot in Houston was, which was horrible. It was like one So relatively three. less hot. Yeah, yeah. And we've got a lot of trees and shade, which is great. So. What's the nice thing about Texas is when it's 105 degrees, it's a humid hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's a sauna. I mean, so you're really you're, you're great at that way. Yeah, you breathe a sauna all uh, every time you walk yeah, out. It's, it's, a, it's a punishment. Yeah, it's really terrible. And Bob, Bob's a fellow New Yorker. And uh, how's, it, how's the, the temperature down there, Bob? Because I'm a couple hours north of you right now. Oh, it's definitely a hot day today. But this is like only our third day. Uh, of this summer that we turned on the air conditioning. So we're, we're pretty good holdouts there. So we're okay. So that's cool. We, uh, we wanted to, we have a couple things we want to talk about, but uh, Josh, you've been sharing some of your work. You've been out, you were working on the, the Ed Sheeran uh, yeah. tour system and you were kind of showing some of the photos of the rig that Bob had designed and you were kind of out there making sure it all went together properly. And a lot of our uh, folks in the discord server were pretty interested in that. So I think, probably want to start there um well it starts with bob it starts with the design yeah, really yeah. <laughs> so. and, and, and bob you designed you designed that was your design on a box that you hadn't even heard yet right you were, that is, it was that new yeah it is correct it began as a as an exercise of a hypothetical box that has hypothetical characteristics and then 
at the next stage, it became a box with very rough approximated acoustical characteristics based on uh, on a map measurement of just the horn <laughs> that, had, that had no physical properties. So in order to make it into a line array, you had to, you had to array it as a, as a single just flying horn and and, and position it in the cabinet, in a lion cabinet in the right spot. I can just tell you that you could actually hang an array faster than I could predict it. Um, well, Bob, did, did, did this, this had to give you flashbacks of stacking horns back in the oh, day. Oh, it did. I, I mean, yes. It was back to my, back to my Shoko rigs. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And then it was, uh, so, and then we all started working on it. Well, Bob started earlier and then we all started working on it about October, September, October of, uh, of this, of, of last year. And they said, uh, we've got a new box. It's coming. Uh, and the, the other big thing was it's going to be Milan directly into the box. So, you know, Bob and I sort of are a tag team in a lot of ways with, Bob designs the sound systems and then I make sure uh, we put the drive system together to drive it the way people need. So, uh, we, you know, we've done that for a few things now and that's sort of how it's come together. And uh, yeah, we put it together and again, not knowing, you know, from a support side, even working for the company, you know, things were still being developed. It was such a very, you know, Panther was made in a year, uh, which is, an incredible development process. We just released something online, I think, to shows you, you know, the, that process. Of, there's, a, there's a cool video, uh, actually, that Meyer just put out, like a six-minute video. I'll put a link to that in the description. We'll post that on our Facebook and Discord and stuff. That was that was fascinating to talk about the timeline and the application and why and all that. So, yeah. The cliff notes of what we're well, talking about. Well, <laughs> there was one shot of, like, a, I guess it was, like, a, a loudspeaker coming out of like some ooey gooey pit of some sort of substance. And I was like, Josh, what's going on? Like there's some very star Wars, like Han Solo type of action going on there. And I was quite fascinated by that. So uh. <laughs> yeah, well come to Berkeley, take a tour and then uh, you can see what that is. That's uh that's cone manufacturing. So. I mean, I, I am willfully ignorant of what's inside the box. I really am like, I, yeah, you know, my job is to control the interactions and manage that stuff. Like, you know, the stuff that's inside there making the sound come out, that's up to the manufacturers to sort out. Like I will gladly let someone else deal with that part. You know, I think all of well, us are like that. I, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I, I tend to consider myself analog, which is a variation of analog. I like to deal with it once it gets in the air, the sound. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but you know, in this case, um, it did. It does require um, quite a bit of of help because it is a a Milan product, and so it's it's got this that whole side of it. But it also is an analog product because we wanted to make sure that there was two paths available. Um, and uh, it's been interesting because uh, those of us in the analog world, that's intuitive and clear. But on uh, the uh, installations that I've been on now, um, every single time they've gotten the Milan side working and fully fleshed out and troubleshot before the analog. Yeah, <laughs> we just did one, Bob and I, where the snakes were 
polarity reversed and flipped backwards. So the line array was awesome. wired analog wise, you know, those cancel each other out though. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. just usable. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a weird <laughs> it one. Was, it made the low, the low mid beam control was real nice because yeah. it made it go steered down. So instead of going down, it went really down. <laughs> but it's been interesting. I, I mean, we're definitely at this world of like hybrid, uh, you know, the, you know, I think we're teeter tottering if that's a good analogy of on this digital to analog side. And, um, you know, we, you know, I'm not going to get in the format wars or audio network, which one's better or whatever, but you know, um, it's, we enjoy it's cool. hate mail. Bring it on. It's okay. Right. No, <laughs> we no, no, no. no, no, we do not. You, maybe no, no. you do. No, it's okay. No, no. We only get it over animals. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of reasons why we chose, uh, you know, why Milan is what the loudspeaker guys are doing it. But um, what's cool is I, you know, the first show we deployed this to the loudspeaker, you know, Milan deployment on, it's 212 loudspeakers. It's 20, over 20 galaxies, 49 Luminex switches, three separate Milan networks. So we have three levels of redundancy of the whole entire system, um, all in star topology. So if one mask goes down, you know, you still have the rest of the show everywhere. And it's just fun. But uh, when this happened in October, you get back to the timeline, it was like we started putting this all together and saying, OK, theoretically, this is what's going on. We didn't know what the set was going to be. We didn't have really any of that information. Bob knew general locations of where to put speakers. And uh, and then we didn't know where racks were going to be. So, you know, it all was changing cable paths and stuff like that. And we worked with Major Tom to try and get it, you know, to work with because they knew that, you know, they had the, you know, they were the wizard behind the curtain, really. They they knew all of what was actually going to be happening. And uh, so then we got to doing the math on things and we're like, wait, has anyone ever tested 212 uh, <laughs> loud, Milan loudspeakers plus, you know, galaxies plus switches. And uh, that I brought that question to my managers and they brought it to the executive team. And then uh, we ended up having a full scale test <laughs> and, nice. and we worked a lot with, you know, with our Luminex, who is going to be the switch manufacturer on that. And um, we started working with major Tom and them and, really put Milan through its paces and we learned a lot. Everyone learned a lot and it's sort of benefiting the industry because Milan is sort of this, this group effort thing for multiple, multiple organizations and multiple manufacturers. We sort of, we've learned a lot and we've actually implemented a lot and there's been new firmware updates to switches and all sorts of fun things that they've learned. And um, that was been, that's been one really cool thing for the industry. I think uh, with this project that's come out, but uh the cool thing is, you know, Bob's design is really, really fun and really, uh, really efficient in terms of dealing with 14 hangs of loudspeakers across the whole entire area. Uh, it's really cool because the it's composed of eight outer hangs and six inner hangs of Panther. And then there's 10 subwoofers uh, in six locations on each mast. There's also some ground subwoofers and some front fills. Um, you really got to see a photo of this because we're going to have yeah. to run because oh, sure. you put the photos up and people are like, holy yeah. shit, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I put a, I want to put a pause on this for one second for, so I don't want to lose some people. For those who don't know and not to get into any wars of protocol, but what is Milan? Oh, okay. Yeah. So Milan is, uh, came from AVB. If, uh, if you've heard of AVB, it's an audio over ethernet, um, audio over ethernet standard. It's, 
basically what happened about 10, 15 years ago, uh, a group of manufacturers came together and said, okay, audio over Ethernet is going to be a thing. And then they came out with this thing called AVB. But it was sort of like the wild, wild west for about eight to 10 years. And different manufacturers were implementing AVB differently. And the whole point of AVB was to make sure that it all worked together. And it didn't. It didn't work because. <laughs> and to make yeah. it uh, royalty free. It was, you know, it's an, yeah. open, it's an open topology so that everybody can join in and see, get the benefits of that unified approach and that we're not funneling copyright uh, rights through a Australian company. <laughs> Bob, that's your outside voice. You know, you're, yeah, you're explaining yeah. what the technology is. You have to start with, you know what Dante is. Well, this is right, an open yeah. source version of, and, of that. And yeah, this does Android things Android versus iPhone. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm but it's different. It does things technically different. Um, yes. ima- imagine with AVB, every audio packet that leaves a device is timestamped by the switch. And then the whole network is, uh, it's what's called time sensitive networking. So uh, imagine you had an audio packet leave a switch and then it needs to send out to multiple speakers in a line array at the same time. Well, the switches- Which is important all... by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, the switches do all that work for you and they, um, they, you know, everyone, that's sort of the beauty of the protocol. Uh, I equate it to imagine you own a pizza parlor and you have three separate houses that you have to make deliveries to at the exact same time, but they're completely across different parts of New York city. Um, AVB allows, sets up the roads and sets up a custom pathway to where all of those pizza delivery cars arrive at the same time, Hmm. every time. And, and that's sort of what the beauty of AVB is, is it's mm-hmm. every single packet is in phase and guaranteed to be in phase. And we're a very phase conscious company uh, oh. <laughs> and we've, you know, been doing studying phase and time and it's very important in audio for very uh, reasons. But anyway, so what happened with AVB? It, oh, yeah, Importantly, it won't even, it won't even set up the, it won't even agree to deliver the pizza unless it knows it can, <laughs> it can send them all, deliver them all three at the same time. It's literally yeah. won't do that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so it was a wild, wild west with AVB. And then about five, six years ago, after we all sort of experimented as manufacturers, we all said, let's get together and make a little more ground rules to make this easier for everyone. And sort of that's where Milan came from. So your switches are Avenue certified. That's the organization that runs AVB. And switches can be used and AVB and time-sensitive networking expands far beyond uh, the world of just our small little audio market. Um, you know, if you're a CNC machine company making car parts, every machine needs to work at the exact same time and do the exact same thing. Um, time-sensitive networking and AVB can be used for that. Um, so the switches get certified to work for everything, time-sensitive networking. That's called Avenue Certification. And then the devices that what we do in Pro Audio, which is Milan, um, we get Milan certified. So Galaxy is a Milan certified device that does talking and listening. So you can it can send and receive uh, packets. And then the Panther, the Milan card on Panther or the X20 or USW112, uh, those just receive packets. So they're just listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of 
it. And that's why you see all these loudspeaker manufacturers going with it. And now console manufacturers are coming on board and, um, and everything. It just makes the makes it guarantees interoperability, but it also guarantees that the signals remain in phase every time. Cool. Well, so. I appreciate the explanation. I think it's good for a lot of people. Actually, I learned some stuff in that as well. So thank well, you. yeah, I mean, conceptually speaking, you know, I mean, Bob, you and I talked a couple of years ago at this point, and you said that, you know, one thing that an up and coming system engineer has to know that you didn't have to deal with was networking. Yeah. Um, and I think we're sort of into generation two of networking now where every company that makes a console has got a digital interface of some sort and they're on stage box and it's all great. But then people started to go, well, why can't they talk to each other? And so now we're starting to see more things like Dante and Milan and people saying, you know, I own these different things and I want them to be able to use them together. And so um, hopefully this is a trend for the industry that, you know, manufacturers actually working together on things like this. Um, you know, Milan has several major loudspeaker manufacturers and, and several major console manufacturers. And it, that's, um, I think that's an important thing for our industry to mature in that way is that people are trying to work together on it. Yeah. And Michael, I'd say the other important thing about AVB and Milan is they sort of realize that, you know, we are sound people and we don't need to be taking, you know, Cisco certification number, advanced PhD level, whatever. Uh, we just need to turn things on and make it as easy as possible and know that it works every time. And so, uh, with Milan, that's another one of the goals. And, um, what you do like on a, a one switch manufacturer, like a Luminex, all you do is say, these are my devices that are plugged in and they're AVB and on these ports. And then you assign AVB to that port and then you're ready to go. So with certain software, you know, it, doesn't take long at all to get ABB up and running it. The switch does all the work for you and you don't have to worry about VLANs and all this other nerd things that <laughs> I don't, you know, that I don't really, you know, no audio person. We've got enough on our plates as live sound practitioners. Right. Like, you know, the last thing I want to be worried about is what my QoS or, you know, VLAN number three, whatever is doing. Um, and you know, what, what is my clock doing and all that stuff? It's just, um, that's sort of what the goal was. And, you know, it's getting there. It's gotten a lot better in, uh, you know, the six years that I've been really working with it. And uh, it's been a cool, it, it, we're at a really cool point in digital audio um, and especially networked audio. And it'll be fun, you know, and we still have analog as backup. But nowadays what we're seeing is people are running primary and secondary uh, networks and seamless redundancy. And I mean, I failed over, some primary and secondary networks and looked at a SIM and smart trace and look at the phase response. And I wait for it to lock back up and pull it and unplug the secondary and pull it back in and plug it back in. And I've done it a hundred times in a row and it stays, the phase line goes, boop, it stays flat. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> um, and you don't have this sort of wind phase trace that happens when you lose. And it clock. was fun telling the artists afterward that you had done that forty times during their show. <laughs> yeah, like, that was really yeah. cool. It happened you. right at the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. Enough nerd talk. Let's so, talk about. So I would. I think it's fun to 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 do a little bit about the physical reality of this Ed Sheeran design. That was quite an interesting challenge. Um, I had done work on the in the round Metallica before on an arena scale, and that's its own challenge. Any in the round is a challenge. Let's let's get real. <clears throat> um, 
but this was one that was all about gravity. Okay, so there's six poles we're going to go up, and that's where your six outer hangs are going to be. And then they're going to run wires to connect those six poles, and floating out on those wires is where the inner six hangs are going to go. So it's basically the World Wide Web, literally. Um, and that's going to hold... <laughs> With a 30-ton exactly. video wall. That's going to hold your speakers. <laughs> you're going to hold your video. It's going to hold all that stuff. So there's these rules that were set up, such as that all speaker arrays must be identical for balancing. Um, and there's very um, stringent rules that made it so that we couldn't hang any... Um, any subs on the inner ring. So all of your subs now are either on the ground around the eight meter stage or was it, maybe it's 12 meter stage. I don't know, but it's, it's a, yeah, um, it's big. And I'm talking radius now the, um, or they're out there at 32 meters on the, on the physical metal towers. So there's, you know, that the, the six outer locations are think of a giant, um, Six Flags Over Texas kind of pole. Um, and then then they're held together with all this wire. And so that's where your subs are hanging. And that's where your mains are hanging. And then your inner system that, uh, you know, it's like is inside of there. Now, you, so I want you to think this through. Now, you start with your artist at the center. You go 16 meters out on a radius. And there's your, quote, mains. And then you go another 16 meters, and that's your delays. And then you, <laughs> for a then you're going to go. You're, then you're going to have to go 100 meters more, okay, for your people. So it's like, so the idea of mains and delays is obviously completely like what gone because your main could go if you do it in the t- traditional design of okay, I'm going to make my sorry. Go away. You're going to make your um, traditional mains um, go oh, maybe 10 meters beyond where the, where the delays are. They're going to come down and meet. Well, they're going to go all of 26 meters, and then the, the other guys that, quote, delays have to cover 100 meters. Well, that's it's insane, obviously. So you're not going to do that. So you're left with a totally different paradigm now. And instead of mains and delays, the first thing I did in talking to um, uh, Charlie, uh, the the chief engineer or the system engineer for this whole thing, um, was like, we can't even call it mains and delays. It's really inners and outers, or you can call it uppers and lowers. So you have to think about your coverage, and that is that the <clears throat> inners will cover all of the ground based seating all of everybody that's on flat ground and a little ways up in the rake and then the other guy is going to cover the the stadium rake the vertical um and so if you think that way normally that means you can compress angles tight with the one that covers the ground and you've got to expand angles that are covering the stands and now we're in trouble again because the guys with the short throw are the ones that have the compressed angles, and the guy with the long throw are the ones that with the expanded angle. So we don't want that. So we have to do the thing the other way. So now you're going to have to make the that first system is going to have to go 
like 50 meters forward of where, or 40 meters forward of where the underneath, got to cover underneath the outer ring. And that's what it does. Basically, it slides underneath the, the, um, the outer ring, goes way deeper than you would think they would have. There's a whole lot of people that, that look up at those outer speakers and think, why aren't those speakers on? Because they're listening right. to yeah. the inner speakers that are seen far away to them, um, but that's you know those speakers have all got a job, and that's how we were able to get um, what are essentially nearly equal sized hangs. I think it's fourteen on the inners and sixteen on the outers, and of course there you go. It's backwards that the that the outers just have more boxes than the inners, but that's the way it had to be because they've got the long throw. So it was a really interesting challenge, and then at the end of the day. To make this a repeatable and uh, you know uh, working paradigm for Charlie and the and the Major Tom crew, the way that um, we design this is so that the inner set essentially is set once at the start of the tour, and they worked out uh, you know they went with the angles as we designed it, and they're set and done because essentially the floor and ground level is the same at every venue, and then the meeting point at uh, at 20 degrees underneath the outers, that is a fixed item at every venue. So they, they transition together. The crossover, as I like to call it, is the same in a circle outside there. And then the question is how much you pull the, um, you, you, how much you go up. You go up. So yeah. um, on, a, on some venues, it's actually just flat, continuous uh, ground or a very, very light rake. And now you're, you're compressing those guys like crazy. And other ones, you're talking, you know, bull ring kind of super high vertical or American football uh, stadiums. And so the those guys all get stretched up, but they meet always the 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 inners and outers always meet at the same place. So really, you've you've reduced the variables, which is the music to the ears of any system engineer is please reduce my wild variables as I move from venue to venue. Yeah, it's such a brilliant design because you have six hangs that are always going to be the same. And then all the system engineer, you know, not all, but one of the, the first things the system engineer has to figure out is where does that top box of that inner hang hit and where do I need to put my bottom box of my outer hang to match up with that? So you're sort of continuing the line, but you're continuing the line, you know, 17 meters apart or whatever the, the the spacing is between the inner and outer hang. And so then he, you accordion it up based off the outer hangs up based off of the, you know, the hang, the height of the, the rig that you're in that day. Um, it's such a brilliant design, uh, Bob. And, you know, I just being on the boots on the ground for this one, it was fun to just see that concept come, come alive. Well, it's, it's very much, very much a team effort with Charlie and the gang at uh, Major yeah. Tom. Um, oh yeah, Major Tom. Yeah, they, they're, uh, you know, they had this vision for two years, and we, you know, we sort of helped color in the a little bit, but they are, you know, it's their world and it's their job and their work, and it's, it's a beautiful, elegant solution to a very complex problem. The funny thing was when we got on site, uh, we we're, you know, building up everything. And one of the, I think, chief designer of the full rig um, was showing photos. And he goes, 
he goes, oh, you see, everything's new. Everything's different. Everything's revolutionary and, um, you know, really hard. <laughs> and, and then he goes, except for audio. See, audio looks very basic and normal. <laughs> and and we were, all of the audio tubes sort of looked at each other and were like, uh, not really true. <laughs> but, but sure. So, so. <laughs> when uh, we... Rational Acoustics did, uh, we did Outside Lands Festival last year and we were asked to come in and, and log SPL at all the stages basically. And, and we were basically operating off of, you know, aerial photos of the layout and, and pictures of what they had done in the years past. And um, we thought we need, needed, you know, this, this and this. And we put those things on a plane and we went out and we did it and we got there and set all up and kind of were like, well, shit, we actually didn't like forget anything. Like we actually had all the right stuff here and it, and it all worked and it was great. Um, but I was kind of fearing that, Oh shit moment, you know, where you, you're missing some major thing that you didn't think about. I mean, was there a point where you're like, Oh, we didn't think about this and we need to readjust the plan here. Or did, was it smooth sound? Like, I think we have to think about this as a company perspective, Bob, like from the ground up with we're we're developing a new box, you know, Myers, John and the John Meyer and the development team are literally at the same time as we're doing things, updating and dealing with, you know, up making a brand new product. And at the same time, Bob is designing a sound system and, you know, the digital products team and tech support are also trying to figure out the drive system. Uh, and Major Tom is trying to figure out how to get gear in a pandemic for a mm. tour. So there's tons lot, of variables. A lot of gear. <laughs> a lot of gear. And there's two stages. So there's they're leapfrogging stages. So they have to have two advanced cable packages. Um, so it's a uh, it was it was it's a it's really the payoff was when the first show happened and everyone is just happy. And uh, production manager Chris Marsh, uh, who's also the front of house engineer who's also mixing the band's monitors on <laughs> which there's a band imagine the other that's the other fun thing is there's a drummer that's literally about 20 meters away from the stage uh, he's on one of the masts the bands are on the mast and ed is just on the center stage so it's it's everything everything about the production is new and 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 revolutionary and there are there were you know a few hiccups of uh, on the digital side of you know what uh, what does 212 speakers on a network do, you know, and all sorts of other things like that. Uh, what fiber are you using? Um, you know, how are we running fiber? What all these things that pop up, but you know, the gig's got an end date. It's opening. They've announced the show. So <laughs> well, one, one of the fun parts for me was we have the, 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 the system that we used has three horns. So you can, you can, you can select um, basically the narrow, medium, and wide, and those run from 85, 95, and 110. And so one would expect that you are going to start with the narrows at the top and finish with the wides at the bottom. That's because, I don't know, because like 99% of jobs do that, right? <laughs> but as it turns out, Michael. this is a really interesting... <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Michael's been yes. preaching this, by the way. So. I, I do weird. I do, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, they at least at least even if you do weird things at the top, you would agree that you normally do wides at the bottom. And for you it would be also. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Well, when you have your six speakers, um, your six circle of six speakers, and they're hung quite high, and 
the by the time that the the, you know, the bottom speaker is aiming 72 or 74 degrees down, so it's almost straight down. Well, it turns out when on a 16 meter radius, it turns out that if you put the 110 degree speaker, it makes it all the way, passes through the neighboring speaker and makes it all the way to the speaker that's, you know, two boxes away from you on the on the thing. So it was like. Holy crap! Because I originally, I originally just laid it out like normal, and then I went through and soloed each box, and was like, "Wait a minute! What is this weird stripe? That's it made these X brace patterns um, with this hot spot. You know, the hottest places was where there was nobody, no speaker was aimed because that was like where they were crossing. It was like, wait a minute! And so then I went down to the narrow speakers at the bottom. And that was the correct answer. So those arrays of of fourteen boxes at the um, uh, that inner array is all of the narrow boxes because you want it to stay narrow because the boxes are you know the whole thing is getting turning closer to a ceiling a giant six part ceiling speaker. <laughs> yeah, and the coverage is so smooth between. And one of the things that it was so and you got to remember Bob is literally designing this without seeing a loudspeaker and ever hearing the loudspeaker. And so you really have to go off of what map is telling you and the coverage angles. And it's the it's a perfect definition of pick the right speaker, put it in the right place and point it in the right direction. Um, and it's just at scale and in a crazy weird configuration, but it's doing the same. And you walk it around, walk around both the inner and the outer ring and the handoff is really, really nice between arrays. Um, so, you know, Bob, and, if you... Like, it, if you had to describe the first time you heard the box compared to the history of Meyer and what you've been working on, what was what was that like after having had to design something, have this expectation in your head, you've now have heard the box. What what was that experience like? Um, well, in terms of of walking the pattern of this thing, and you know the the when I saw the pattern, the data, the pattern data from the um, R and D team. I was like, they were like, you know, they sent it to me because I'm kind of like the, you know, if Mikey likes it kind of guy. It's true. Okay. And I just, I just, you know, I was in love at first sight. It's like, if this is real, you know, absolutely don't touch it. When you see it, it just looks, the prediction looks so different than every other prediction you've ever seen, that there's a moment where you're like, wait, that can't be, right? Yeah. Like I had that reaction where you're like, wait, that's not real. Right? And <laughs> I, I wanna, I, one more pause. I want to I wanna preface real quick. Anybody's listening. For the record, this is not a paid sponsorship by Meyer. <laughs> Sorry. I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I know things like this in the industry can be weird, right? Like, I mean, yeah. quite frankly, RCF is one of our, our sponsors, right? So like. Uh, <laughs> no, but I saw the RCF guys in the airport on the way to Infocom and they were like, do you hear the Panther? Tell us all about it. Like they were super excited about <laughs> right. it. So, so I just, I just so, want to, yeah. I, I don't want any shit talk about the, uh, like this is just <laughs> yeah. audio humans talking about audio we're products. Ner- we're nerding out about nerdy things. I'm, it's great. I'm yeah, to me. It's like, it's data. And yeah. I have looked, I've looked at horns and measured horns since 1984. Um, and I've seen young, young evolution. Gun. Yeah. 
Exactly. I, I missed all the, you know, the, all the classics, right? The potato masher and, and uh, the toilet paper and the and the horn. And <laughs> oh, the toilet. Oh no, I did see that okay. one. I'm an eyewitness to that. But the um, but the the deal is that what's the beauty of this horn is it's quote an 85 degree speaker, and we always clarify the characterize these things by the minus six point. Mm-hmm. But this thing is crazy because 70 degrees of it is within um, a 3 dB range. 70, yeah, 70. 70, exactly. And so that means that if you start from from the center, you walk 35 degrees and you lose very, very, very slowly 3 dB. And then you walk another 7.5 degrees (laughs) and you get the next 3 dB. 3db so you're walking this thing and it's like well nothing's happening i'm walking but nothing this is boring it's boring oh wait a minute wait a minute it's going it's gone (laughs) and that is an amazing characteristic because it leaves you with this gigantic sweet spot where literally nothing happens and so you you get so much less worried about about making, you know, some seats in the sweetest spot and these kind of things, because you have this massive area that's staying consistent and it's very consistent over frequency. So with that in mind, it led me to feel like I could, I could push that speaker to do things that I would not normally push an 85 degree speaker to do because it's got, it's 70 degrees of super sweet, Way you know it's got way more width than um, the the speaker that it replaces, which is a seventy degree speaker. But that's seventy degree speaker of which it's three dB was done in twenty five degrees. Uh, I would I would imagine so it's, it, the the flip side of that is the your your design is that much more critical. Of making sure where the next array picks up, right? Your, your your margin of error there is actually greater. While that's a benefit in some ways, it, your margin of, well, if you have your typical 120 degree box or whatever, you know it's a little more liberal in terms of some of your coverage. And yes, there's cancellations there. But I'm saying that if it if it actually drops and you you miss a few degrees by with your overlap you, or your, your yeah that that could be detrimental. Right. So if you're going to run a mono kind of mix, you don't want to get a set of these and splay them 35 degrees apart. It's going to be a blender. Yeah. Okay. It's just going to be a blender. So, but if you want to do, um, if you're doing a, a, a mix that's got a lot of uh, panoramic in it, a lot of stuff in the left and stuff in the right, well, now you've got yourself a big, seriously wide panoramic area because they don't have a nose on the front. It's got the wedge on the front, which means a lot more of my left can reach listeners on that are off the center line. Um, it doesn't take, it doesn't change the fact that the ear responds uh, to timing cues. Uh, that's a whole other story, yes. but if it's, <laughs> it, if, but it, but if it is panned to such that the, it is a decorrelated or semi-correlated signal, then if the guitar is in the left and the, pianos in the right well they don't there's not a timing thing they're different signals and so now you can you can really overlap them you know very liberally 
Um, and that's a, that's a sweet thing. But in the case of the, of this Ed Sheeran design, it, um, it's very careful to, um, to maximize, um, uh, clarity. It's a, it's a, it's, he's a storyteller more than any other thing. Um, he sings love songs of which every song is a whole web of, of stories and lyrics, right? Um, I mean, musically, how many things can a guy playing six strings <laughs> and a, and a, and a, and a stomp box, it's very you know, fancy stomp box, <laughs> a very fancy stomp box, but I mean, you know, it's not a symphony. Um, and so you make sure you want to have the, the storyteller come through. And so uh, the system does a really, um, is really built to minimize that overlap and deliver everybody to high clarity at even long distances. Yeah. And the distances, that's the thing that gets me about this new product is I've never walked a stadium and heard even coverage horizontally, but then walked all the way up to the back and heard it still sound like it was right in front of you. And there's benefits to the system design, but throwing over a hundred meters and the only thing you're hearing is just the air loss in the high frequency is pretty, pretty incredible. It was a, it was a really incredible experience. And, um, Bob and I, when we did, uh, well, we did the the first time Bob heard it was at a Las Vegas Panther demo, and then we tuned a small little system in Denver. And every time our fir- our impression still is when we do hangs that are eight, ten, twelve boxes, you know, our impression still is like, oh my gosh, this thing sounds bigger than uh, it actually is. And if you think about it, the SPL class of Leo, you know, in now in Panther is. You know, we're off by a couple dB. That's it. So it's still a stadium box, but now it's the size. It's really small. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing is we show a photo of, you know, Milo, then Leo, and then Panther in the middle. And you can really see the size difference. And people are still making long throw boxes the size of, of Milo and uh, as heavy as Milo. And that's the that's the cool thing about this sort of endeavor but enough plugging of the new product <laughs> well I, you know. for the dumb americans <laughs> like myself who can't reference meters that's 320 <laughs> that's 328 feet that's 328 feet so <laughs> that you're talking 100 meters 320 that's yeah it's, it's chris a don't go to don't go to europe as a systems engineer you'll have <laughs> don't my brain went to meters and never went back oh. yeah oh, i mean <laughs> look for the record yeah. i think i think the metric system is a better system i'm not denying that i just was not raised on it and don't have to live on it so it's hard for me to correlate that and math is already hard for me so anyway. just yeah, do all I your agree, distances in, in milliseconds uh that'll solve that problem if, oh yeah, yeah. If, if math is hard for you definitely go with something that uses 16th for inches which <laughs> <laughs> and then goes into 5,280 because that's straightforward. Yeah. Uh, have some more meat, Josh. <laughs> so we, we usually ask this at the beginning of the episode, but I want to circle back to it now. Um, and we're going to start with Josh. Josh, how did you, how did you end up where you are? What was your path into, into audio? Like what got you interested? So uh, let's see. I started doing church audio when I was 12. Um, so I was going to churches. I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. My dad's in oil, so I've moved around a lot, but, um, 
uh, started doing church, uh, church sound when I was 12, setting up the PA every Sunday and, you know, the Roland PA boxes and subs and learning about things. Uh, and one of my mentors, uh, Denny, he listens to this podcast. So hopefully, hey, Denny, you're my first mentor. So, um, <laughs> That's uh, yeah. And, uh, and then he taught me a little bit about sound. And then I moved to Texas because my dad got a job change and I was playing guitar and you know, music and stuff and, uh, was playing in church bands, but also then I discovered theater and, uh, and girls. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> in, in high school, you know, it was that part of my life and, uh, and it was great. So I sort of took a, a complete U-turn and was like, well, I want to learn how to tell stories and be an actor. So I went to undergrad for acting and directing, but I was still doing sound throughout the whole thing, playing and, and mixing a little bit. And then, uh, I started composing music for shows for theater. And then my junior year of college, I sort of was like, Hey, wait, there's the thing called sound design. And I started learning about systems and sound design and telling stories. So it was like, Oh, this is everything I love. I can set up sound systems and do all of the, 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 the patchwork and stuff, but also do, you know, creative stuff and, um, did that. And then I, uh, I started looking at grad school uh, because I said, you know, I, I'm only two years into this. I don't know what to do with my life. Um, there's got to be somewhere that, you know, can train you. And luckily at that point I had started, you know, I read about Bob's book, started reading Bob's book, uh, learned on YouTube. There was a lot of things on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, then I applied, uh, I looked at grad schools and there was a couple out there, but the one that I, the only one I applied to was uh, UC Irvine in uh, California and John and Helen had donated a ton of gear. And uh, there's a lot of people that have gone through that program and they only accept two people a year. And I think my year, 20 people applied and somehow I got in, uh, <laughs> which my mentors would say, we don't know how. Um, and uh, so they, uh, <laughs> So then I had three years in grad school at UC Irvine. Um, and what's cool about a theater background is it's, you know, I, I know you guys have had theater people on here talking about this, but theater people do the weirdest things in sound because they have to, because the script calls for it. And we do crazy things. Um, and, but you do all of the things and you have, th I had three years of, of, of literally the most intense three years of my life uh, just to get me prepared for the real world. And uh, it was incredible. It was a great experience. I highly recommend it. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about it. And uh, then I said, okay, well, I've spent a lot of time up here and doing a lot of things. I need to learn how to tour and I need to, I want to work with big PA because I don't know that part of my, you know, the world. I'm used to point source distributed systems and doing weird musicals and, and for the stuff record, like that. there's nothing wrong with point source. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. Distributed systems are, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I hadn't really had that much experience with touring, and I knew I was very much coming out of my grad school and school world uh, with this, you know, with this idea of a lot of heady things. And one of the things you always hear about someone with a lot of education, when you, you know, walk up to a normal sound person is like, don't know, oh, you know, it all. Oh, the, <laughs> you know, you know, the guy with the master's degree. And it's like, no, I don't want to be that guy. I just want to learn how to push boxes and roll feeder and, and do the things that I need to do to, to tour because you guys talk about this all the time on the podcast. And, uh, it's super important. It's, you know, the job is more about people and, you know, being 
a good person, a hard worker than it is about what you know. And, uh, and luckily that's, you know, that's been most of my career. So I worked for Feld entertainment for about three years and, uh, or two years on tour with Marvel universe live, which at the time was a huge tour. Um, it was, it was huge. And we had a yeah. big in the round rig, um, touring and, you know, doing all that stuff. And, uh, my wife joined me on tour. Uh, she was, she, we went to grad school together and then she moved to New York. And so I had the ultimate marriage counseling to where for six months we were living, breathing and working together on tour. Uh, and, uh, it was awesome. And then my which, buddy, Brian, which Marvel character was she like the Hulk? She or was what? storm. She was storm. Yeah. And the Hulk. She was the Hulk, too. She is the Hulk. Um, the most be- beautiful Hulk ever. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm in the doghouse. Um, all right. Anyway. Uh, but yeah. Just and then what happened? Okay. Yeah. What happened next? Uh, uh, then my buddy Brian got a job at, from grad school. He got a job at Meyer, And I was always under the impression that I had to be like, you know, super like 50 60 industry super super veteran with a giant long beard and a lot of experience <laughs> not sure why you would think that if you're looking <laughs> at Meyer, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh and you know i applied and they saw my experience and i had been working with meyer products uh in undergrad and grad school and um it was sort of a good way to get off the road but still maintain the life um and now I've done a lot of different things with Meyer. I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of nothing. I uh, oh. I go in and do <laughs> I do different things. I uh, I tune sound systems. I uh, help customers and tech support, and we that's that's the number one thing we do. You and answer a lot of emails from me. <laughs> answer a lot of emails and phone calls. Uh, today was I mean, Broadway. Today was Broadway day for some reason, um, and. Uh, and then, you know, I get to do fun things sometimes. And yeah, the cool thing about working at a company like Meyer, and I, when I applied, they, I asked, what's the cool thing about working at Meyer?" And my boss at the time, Mac Johnson, said, the cool thing is every day I walk around these halls and I talk to someone and they're always working on really cool things. And that, like... Hmm. The curtain, you know, we talk about this Wizard of Oz thing, but it's very much a very Wizard of Oz type place where you know one day i'll be working with a colleague that's doing something with space you know one day i'll be doing something with uh you know a big fortune 500 company and the next day i'll be answering an email about a guy who uh thought meyer snowplows was meyer sound and so that's why he <laughs> called uh that's why you called uh, our tech support line. So, <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, so it, it varies. It's a cool, it's, a, it's such a fun gig because I'm still doing, I like being able to spread out and do the different things that we're doing. And, um, you know, we all specialize in some things, but I can sort of, you know, I sort of hop around and try and to take as little. I work with wizards. So, like, I mean, I work with a guy named Merlin. So, uh, and I have Bob and I, we have Magoo and all these really cool people that are, uh, that are cool mentors, colleagues, and friends, but um, also so willing to share their knowledge. So, that's, that's sort of, it's cool. So, it's, that's what I, that's my gig. It's a nice <laughs> little, awesome. little TED talk there, Josh. Sorry. That was great. That was great. No, I, I want to, uh, I want to <laughs> emphasize, we, we talk a lot about the, um, the potential of a manufacturer path within the audio industry. 
right? And that's that's what Josh is living. So I, I mean, it's yeah. So to take notes on that. Yeah, I, I I couldn't do a normal. I think a normal manufacturing job, you know, a- answering phones in an office somewhere, you know, for that's your whole thing. I couldn't do that. Well, no, no, no. But I do, no. But that's the thing. Yeah. That's not. The pinnacle, or that's not the most of what manufacturing jobs are. We got Samantha Potter, we got Jeff Hawley, all these other people who are doing these manufactured jobs that have very, uh, even Kyle, who's not here tonight. I mean, when he was with Bose and with Midas, and you know, I mean, there's there is so much you can do within this industry that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be behind, you know, uh, yeah, the I think console there's a, there's of a hundred thousand person festival. I mean, it's there's well, the other the other side of that too. I think there's a misconception where if you say I work for a manufacturer, people think you sit in a cubicle all day, and then some people do, but a lot of people don't. There are a lot of people right. that work for manufacturers that go out and. To Ed Sheeran concerts, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bob, you made your own college degree program. You like <laughs> rolled your own, right? Yes, that's true. At the at the time, what I did was originally wanted to be a musician, and I I went to Indiana University as an undecided, and Indiana University decided for me very quickly <laughs> that I was not going to be a musician, um, and. <clears throat> But I, I started volunteering at the, at the music hall to do recordings and then things like this. And I started to talk to people and we, they told me about there's an option of creating your own degree through a special program called the Independent Learning Program. Now, you have to figure this is 1975 we're talking about and there was no place to get an education in live sound I want you to, you know, to think this is six years after Woodstock. Okay. This is less than 10 years after the Beatles at Shea Stadium trying to do a show on like eight horns laying on the ground and not even stage <laughs> monitors. I mean, so the industry is so young at that time. There's no, there's no, you know, old masters sitting at universities, um, you know, retired. Anybody that was practicing in the 60s, if, is still out there in this in the middle of the 70s as this industry grows. So so we we cobbled together a degree and the degree ended with me taking an internship at a recording studio in Texas making uh, things like WKRP cling <laughs> uh, radio Jingle. station ID <laughs> and I knew I was in serious trouble when when, when, when the radio was on and I would phase out during the songs and then per attention during the commercials, it's like, oh, you have lost your way, okay? <laughs> this was not what inspired you into this industry. But then I found out there was this, a company literally a quarter of a mile down the road named Shoko that was one of the biggest touring companies. And I went down there, and I'll never forget the – the uh, the words of B.J. Schiller when he hired me he says, I don't know about hiring you. We don't hire guys with degrees. We've never hired a guy with a degree before. Well, I didn't doubt that because there wasn't anybody. <laughs> um, he says, I get my best guys out of laundromats. <laughs> Which is literally a guy just like, like blew his mind and like, ran storming out of his mind off the bus and they're at the laundromat and um and do you want to join this tour and 
the guy says yes, and that's the story of ML Procise, one of the most famous front of house and monitor engineers in the industry, which was the story he's referring to. So would I ever, you know, live up to ML Procise? I don't know. I didn't come from a laundromat. I came from a different path. Um, but what this did was we, I did study really hard to learn the fundamentals. And so then when I started uh, and bounced around from different companies and I saw this company, FM Productions, that looked to me like a very high a high level of quality. They were doing the Grateful Dead tour and these other tours. And I migrated to that company, told them I wanted to work with them. And I moved to San Francisco and joined with them. And that's where I would go on to meet John Meyer. And I was correct in thinking that this was the culture that I would be uh, much more a part of. And that um, you know, started my, uh, really made the journey into a place where it wasn't just about making it the loudest and and being uh, a customer service production company, but about really making great sound. And Choco, like Claire Brothers, was a, you know, a, above all, a customer service operation. Um, and they even would say, you know, you can have either hi-fi or, um, or high power and you can't, but you can't have both. And then I heard the, the work of John Meyer, specifically the JM 10. And I went, uh, you know, <laughs> you can have high power <laughs> and hi-fi. And that was what, it, you know, I think one of the things about our ears as a sense is when you hear something that you've never heard before. There's nobody that can untell you that. You know, oh my God, I'm hearing a level of quality I've never heard before. And, you know, I had that experience and that inspired me and I wanted to keep going. And that led me to a whole set of circumstances that would lead me into um, working with John Meyer, working with the Grateful Dead. And then it landed me on the bench there at Meyer Sound in a testing capability. And when the first SIM concerts were done using the analyzer that was on my bench, well, that set the thing in motion of I'm the person that has road experience and I know how to run this analyzer and I know how to talk to front of house engineers and I know what an equalizer does and I don't run a company. <laughs> right you know so that means i can go on the road and i can do this thing the one thing i had to learn that i had no knowledge of was how to write uh computer code so i learned to write with the help of uh alexander yule thornton otherwise known as thorny some of you might know him thorny. he's a wonderful super i saw him i just got to see him at nam which was amazing by the okay way. <laughs> well he is certainly one of my great mentors and he said, and Gabe plopped the book down and said, here's what you need to do and learn this. And I learned HP Basic and I did two things. I've only ever written two programs in my entire life. Number one, I wrote a program to automate my job. <laughs> I literally you were like an innovator in AI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I made myself obsolete so that my testing, which was a set of routine um operations that were done over and over again, I automated that so that the computer could tell passes and fails and all the tests were done. And as I like to put it, that means now a monkey can do it. And I turned it over to a guy who I won't name, who I considered pretty much a monkey. 
Um, <laughs> and that freed me up to go on the road. And then I wrote a program that was the primordial version of SIM, which was, you know, which allowed us to get out of this HP analyzer to get data that you could bring home and analyze or that you could actually look at um, the, you know, the mixed position and then move the mic and compare it to another location because you had a computer to put that stuff in memory. Because otherwise, the, you know, you had one trace and you could store it. And then if you hit the button again, it was erased. It was, you know, it was as it was a great a system as uh, Secret Service uh, text messages, you know, which immediately <laughs> go erased. They're just gone. Yeah, just gone. <laughs> too soon, Bob. Too soon. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> so uh, I I could ask. Uh, we, we we could be here for hours, quite frankly, and 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 I want to pr- propose this that I get you on how we got lot at some point, and we talk about that, right? But I, I do have at least a greasing question I need to ask. Um, I, I was thinking about this today, right? So, um, my 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 dad always told me about my great grandfather. He was like, my great grandfather um, was alive to see the first car made and then the first landing on the moon, right? Um, that it was a very interesting range of time to have and see in transition technology. Unlike or very, very like yourself in terms of from the in our industry perspective of its infancy to where it is now. Do you ever or when you look back at also want to add that you are one of the most influential people on our in our in the lifestyle history, right? So coupled with being one of the most influential people in our lifestyle history, with also being able have um, have seen the transition of where we were when you started, where we are now. What is it like to reflect on that? Well, I think uh, it is it is an amazing thing to have seen because you know when I got into this business. Uh, a sound engineer did everything. They did live sound and studios. Who does that now? Very, very small number of people that can that can float between. And even still, they're only going to do parts of live sound and parts of studio. Um, so it's a very differentiated world. But I think the, 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 the fun story to tell on that is <clears throat> that, of course, I had no idea... I would go into audio measurement because I didn't even know there was such a thing. I can remember seeing a real-time analyzer for the first time and going Shazam. I mean, it's like, <laughs> wow, mackerel. But, but the, what I can really remember as a historic event was it was 1984. John Meyer and I had gone to Sacramento and we had done, it was about our third or fourth Grateful Dead show. And we now had it solid. We could measure that system before the concert, during the concert. We could, we did live polarity fixes of stuff we found during the concert. Um, Grateful Dead will let you do things like that, that other bands won't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we, but the, the bottom line is that we, we, we had this talk. It's a two-hour drive home from Sacramento. And John and I had this talk. And on that day, driving home, as I looked at the hills in the distance, we could see over those hills. And we said, here's where this is going to go. There's going to be this FFT analyzer 
at front of house on every show. This is not a this is not going to pass as a fad. This will be at every show. And it's probably going to take us six months to a year for that to happen. <laughs> so we were only we were only off by about twenty years. But what we saw did come to pass. We saw the future and it is it did come to pass. And that was an amazing thing um, to see what would happen. And, and at that time, we people would laugh at us and say, oh, yeah, in the real world, you know, you science nerds, you know, blah, blah. And, and you know, we don't need that, that real world. We use our ears. It's like, well, I don't think I, I have a prohibition on using my ears, but I also have this analyzer <laughs> that helps me to make informed decisions and add those to my ears. Um, and and so the result, of course, is that we all know where we're at. Um, you guys, I mean, we all use these tools. They are so mainstream that the people that don't use those are the curmudgeons and outliers and um, and the people who just like attention for not doing what everybody else does. <laughs> but that to me is like the way I see it. And now, of course, um, it, that's a very rewarding thing to have been to been so early and been sort of the, the 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 preacher out, you know, in my in my bearskins, uh, standing on the on the on the mountaintop, saying, "Oh, ye, hear ye, hear ye, you know, do this. Great things will come of it." And there we are. And it wasn't bearskins; it was uh, Birkenstocks because he was in San Francisco. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was a much better shoe than that. I love you, buddy. <laughs> you know, there's there's uh, some conversations that pop up. You know, I've talked about uh, this with my friend Jimmy Akabuski, who was kind of, you know, doing this back in the yeah. day of stack up as many speakers as you can get and maybe angle a couple of them down towards the people on the sides mm-hmm. and just let it rip. And the the stuff that we talk about today and we talk about system design, I mean, we talk about do I want to do half a degree or one degree? Like the ability of precision that we have you couldn't have that conversation um you know in 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 previous generations of this work and so i think now we can start to talk about it being a more mature like it wasn't you know it's not cowboy days anymore yes. um and 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 it sort of was like the the analyzer is one of the things that allows it to approach that level of precision and repeatability and that kind of informs better loudspeakers better design practices which you know so it sort of starts to feed itself because you've got a microscope um so it's so funny when i hear people say you know i just i miss my you know the s4s were the the best sounding thing i ever heard and there's got to be so much rose colored glasses to that and i'm not saying that people didn't get good sound out of these things because i'm sure they did you know yak yak's 22 years old mixing journey in a club um, and he talks, I'm like, I'm sure that was awesome, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, ev- all the incremental improvements and every, every major manufacturer has now a new generation of loudspeaker and they've improved upon their previous generation in, in X, Y, Z ways. And so, you know, it's really funny to me when people go, oh man, I, you know, I really miss those days when we were just ground stacking all this stuff. Cause that, that's, that was real sound. And it's just like, I think if you went back and stood in front of that now in 2022, it'd be, it would be horrifying. You know, I really do. It absolutely <laughs> yeah. would. We have a, we have a great memory. We can remember things that improved, but, um, but, but these were great shows. They were great bands. Mm-hmm. We had great experiences and we were, 
shall we say, in some of us were in in a state of of embracing the <laughs> audio experience. Um, but suffice to say that if you could clock back or just go ahead, go to the museum, listen to a phenolic driver. Do you even know what that is? <laughs> it's, it's a it's a yes. it's a it's a type of um, compression driver from JBL way back in the day. That's a carbon kind of uh, fabric, and it is just it just it creates 10k out of 500 hertz. You know, <laughs> it doesn't reproduce it; it creates it. It is it is a buzzsaw. It is an absolute buzzsaw, and that is what I listened to endless numbers of concerts was on these horrible things like this and but that's you know but but somebody was ripping out a great guitar solo and you love that experience um so you can't take that away but oh no romance strictly romance it's like uh, nostalgia it's nostalgia yeah the nostalgia yeah i i think about it like the metaphor i would use uh uh, when i was growing up uh, i played the the first tomb raider which came out in 1996 and there's a very famous scene from that game where you fight a T-Rex because why not, right? And and when the game, they went back and did a 10-year anniversary of that game and the T-Rex came out, the devs were like, that's so fucking tiny. And so they had to make the T-Rex three times bigger than the original one just to make it live up to how you remembered it, oh, right? Because awesome. your, your perception of how big and scary the T-Rex was was like way not the same as how big it actually was. Um, I, we're sort of up against the clock a little bit, but I, I want to talk about the boogeyman a little bit here. Um, this is kind of this is kind of my pet topic. Um, Bob, you and I have talked about this in the past. Before you could measure something like phase, phase was the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Phase was the we're gonna oh you can't do that because phase phase issues phase issues. And my thing now is if I hear somebody talk about phase issues when I hear that phrase. There's probably going to be an unsubstantiated statement following that is something that you know. So that's so. Now that you can measure it and you don't have to be scared of this phase things, we can see it. What's the new boogeyman? Like what's, what's the new kind of thing that people don't understand and therefore blame problems on? Cause there's always going to be something. Oh, well, I got two. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> what do you got, Josh? Uh, mine would be like FIR filters. I think. Oh, that's know. a good one. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, and then, uh, sub arrangements. Um, I think, I think people dig themselves into a lot bigger holes as sub arrangements than they do, um, actually benefiting and making a better sub arrangement. Um, you know, uh, one thing that happened on the discord recently was, uh, talking about the Ross Gilda design. I posted a photo, I think on the discord and someone was like, why would you ever do left, right subs? And, uh, and then I was like, Bob, why would you ever do left, right <laughs> subs? And I wanted Bob to answer that on this podcast so we could get that out there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's. I think those are my big two. We, well, the floor is yours, Bob. For, for me, <laughs> the big real boogeyman, as in like a a monster under the bed of undefined, but it's going to somehow come up and get you, are plugins. Oh yes. Oh, we because, just. I mean, that here are ago. these things that are people putting in their signal path and they are of unknown parentage of unknown properties and, and mythical, mythical properties given to them. And then you just go and, and you look at them and they're just like, so, I mean, I have this fractal audio processor. Okay. That's my guitar processor so that I can play a guitar in New York city. And it has all these ridiculous names for everything. So then you just put it on the FFT analyzer and see what does it do? <laughs> and I mean, it's like, 
blah, blah, blah. I mean, I could give you 50 different names for the things. And it's like, okay, that's adding some second harmonic to string. That's adding 3dB an octave wide at 2K. That makes, that's what, what I forget what the word is, like um, grind or, you know, I mean, it's shit like this. Oh, it's like, yeah. what? <laughs> um, and so to me, those are things that are, are real issues in terms of that they can really degrade your thing, unknown things in your signal path. And in terms of like the thinking that that's going to make a difference, let's go with the digital consoles thing. You have these people that run around and have this grand idea of their analog console, which then goes into a whole bunch of digital things and that goes out for plugging. <laughs> but somehow because they have an analog console that they're somehow making this great analog sound, it's like nice yeah, and they plug it into a lake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice try, my man. But it's, seriously, I mean, who are you trying to kid? Okay, um, it's like, uh oh, that one's going to get some emails. Well, no, you know what, no, Sam and I, Sam and I were just doing a festival, and we were talking because there's a Paragon there, and we were we were talking Par- about Paragon this. won at that. By the way, I mean that's yeah, that's 1986, and it was big and heavy, and they had to fork it onto the riser and all that. It was very exciting, but. It's it's really about, um, I think the enormous skill of the operators sometimes gets attributed to the equipment that the operators are using, um, and that's a huge a huge factor here. Where yeah. um, you've got, I mean, it was John McBride, mixing Martina McBride, and he's a monster mix engineer. And and I'm certain if you gave him a fucking Mackie VLZ, he'd get something great. Exactly. Sound out of it, you and, know what I mean? Don't yes. get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't get great sound out of an analog cancel. I would. Do that myself, okay? But the yeah. deal is one. But the, one of the reasons might be because you just keep your signal path with shit that you understand instead of five thousand million plugins that you don't know what they're doing. I mean, at, at yeah. Roskilde, I can tell you the people that didn't put all that crap in there were the people that turned out great mixes, where a voice sounded like yeah. it came from a human, and had more <laughs> and had more headroom, <laughs> the dynamic range. I mean, oh I man. Mean, and that to me is like I'm, yeah. I, I'll always remember Gamble. Anybody? Um, I, Jim Gamble. Okay. Okay. Chris just interviewed him. Actually, Chris is a big show. fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, super guy. And what I loved of hanging out with Jim Gamble is he pulls out a module of his console, which is just a big giant piece of green PC board with nothing on it. And then you look carefully, and you're like, oh, there's a chip there, and there's two resistors, and then way over there is another chip. And then there's like a braided, um, uh, there's a there's essentially a, a balanced line going in and out of the two, uh, a twisting, uh, a twisted cable through the, the two layers of the board. And what he says is like, hey, here's what this is all about. You don't get in my signal path unless you have something absolutely you must do to be in there. It's like, I'm going to make it so that this has the very simplest signal path, goes through the fewest stages, and gets from mm-hmm. point A to, to E, but not through the whole friggin' alphabet three times. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the proverbial, oh, my God, what would you do to the system? It sounds so much better. You're like, I disabled all this shit. I bypassed your eight parametric filter. <laughs> and it should be said that loudspeaker systems nowadays um, – can reproduce those things and they're audible. I mean, yeah. there's tons of times where we walk into sound systems, uh, new install, and then we say, clear your console out. 
don't yes. start from, you know, let's say you're doing a church or something. Don't start with your old show file, clear it out. And right. I think now we're even at the point with dynamics to where people are actually starting to hear compression in line arrays. And um, especially with Panther right now, it's insane. <laughs> and I think people are going to start throttling back compressors and things. Um, you know what? We, I work at a, a theater here uh, about 45 minutes from my house, it's a college theater, and they upgraded a, a 12-year-old PA with a new PA and um, the, the tech director, who's not an audio person, he's a lighting person. He goes, and I think I had, we had swapped out one, one, one console for a, a touring console that day. And he was like, that console's less, he's that console doesn't hiss as much. He heard like the minus 85 DB residual noise floor on the console outputs through this new PA. Yeah. And for him to notice that he's not even listening for it actively, he's not an audio person, you know. For he just noticed. So the, the uh, I think the assertion that like it's all digital these days, there's in unlimited headroom. Don't worry about gain structure. Like I totally uh-huh. disagree with that. You can hear Gosh, that shit, wolf. man. You can super hear that shit. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing is is when your 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 guest consoles come in and they bring their fader at the unit and they're like, I need more from the PA. It's like. I literally just measured the PA and I can tell you that there's all there. If we bypass your console and I just play for my audio interface, that that will measure exactly the same. It's 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 this plug-in thing. I, I changed my I changed my first one, the FIR filter, but uh, I take that away and I say, I agree with Bob. Plugins with FIR filters uh-huh. secretly hidden in them. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sam. Uh, we oh. sort of we sort of touched this on a little bit, but yeah, Sam, hit your question up, Sam. All right. What do you guys wish you knew when you first started? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I wish I had uh, started with networking earlier, um, just in terms of what I do on a day to day basis. But um, and uh, we're talking about IT networking. Yeah, I wish right? I, uh, I wish I knew how to. Uh, when I started, I wish I knew how to talk to people without mm. pissing them off. Yes, it's an important how to, skill. <laughs> how to be right? How to be right without being a dick? Yeah, yeah. How to win? That, that, that took me manner. a while. Yeah. Yeah. That took me a while. With most notably, being set off of the bus in the middle of the road and the bus driving away. That was a slap slap experience it's like okay i'm gonna have to rethink about this because that wasn't because it wasn't because i made a technical mistake that's because they hate me yeah well there was this thing you know when i first started at meyer that i would walk into a venue tuning and the first thing that you would hear out of people's ears by the side was oh he's the meyer guy so he's Mm going to come in and tell you how to do it and and I, me coming from a theater background and a very collaborative background, I always would be like, whoa, 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 let's come on, let's talk, <laughs> let's, you know, let's get together. And one of the best classes I ever took in school was called Concepts of Collaboration. It's basically, our teacher called it Defense Against the Dark Arts, but it's, uh, it's basically learning how to speak each other's language and each discipline. We had stage managers, lighting, video, everyone in there. And it was a, it was an amazing class to just teach you how to be collaborative and uh and talk to humans like humans and um and i'm happy to say that that's sort of gone away and 
you know, uh, we had this sort of unfair thing in the industry. Oh, the Meyer guys will tell you how to do it. And, and that's not true. And it's, it's a collaboration as in all things. And, um, you know, I, I've seen myself evolve over these years. I've seen Bob evolve over these years and we've all sort of evolved and keep learning. And that's the, that's the cool part about our industry and about our gig is be willing to say yes. And I don't know. And, um, hmm. That's that's awesome. So, my question, and I think I know the answer to this because it's it's not it's not uh, theoretical because Josh has taken me to the place that he wanted to take me. But if I'm coming to visit each of you, where are you going to take me to eat? What's your favorite spot? Oh, wait, what city are we in? Oh, we're in Indiana. wherever wherever okay. you are. I will okay. come to you. You where are you going to take us? Okay, Bob, you go first. You live oh. in New York City. This is <laughs> if, harder for you. I'm going to probably take you to. <laughs> To Koreatown, we're going down to Bake Jong in Koreatown, and we're going to sit down and cook it right there at the table, and and bring it on. What are you doing next yes. Wednesday? I'm coming to New York. Next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't live that far. Well, what I've learned is is Bob's wife will pick an excellent spot. Yes, every Meredith time. Yeah. will pick, yes. yeah, and yeah. it's always amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but the, but the best the best is to come to my house and have my wife Meredith cook for you because baby Ooh. that's the shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cafe de McCarthy. <laughs> uh, in Atlanta, uh, there's a few spots. Uh, the problem is I moved to Atlanta right during the pandemic. So we haven't explored so much. Mm. Um, there's two favorites in Atlanta, Iberian Pig, which is in Decatur. Uh, Michael and I went there. And then, Sam, we I, I took you to White Bull, which is another good one in Decatur. That um, was good. But then uh, also there's a place that I take a lot of people called Boco Loco. It's like southern Italian food. It's uh, Boca Lupo. It's uh, in East Atlanta. It's really good. It's right off the Beltline. Uh, if you're in Austin, Texas, the best bite of the food in the world I've ever had and uh, is at a place called Uchi and Uchi Co. I can verify that is. <laughs> yes. I literally, Bob and I were doing a gig in Denver and they have an Uchi in Denver as well. And I said, Bob, uh, we need to leave. <laughs> and he's like, why? And I was like, so I got an Uber. We drove there, dropped off and we missed our reservation. And I was like, oh no. So we sat down at the hostess stand and I said, can I order two? A5 Wagyu beef nigiris. So it's just a 72-hour beef, Wagyu beef short rib that they cook for 72 hours uh, and sous vide, and then they blast it, and they put it on sushi rice. Oh my and God. you pop it in your mouth, and it, it just a, melts. It is a one-bite yeah. super orgasm. Oh, and I, I was like, Bob, we got to just wait for this bite. And and we did, and then we had beer at a, a you know one of the delicious Denver uh, distilleries or, or breweries. Um, Lots of hazy IPAs, but uh, but also Josh, yeah. shout out to that place that we went to in Vegas. I don't remember the name of it. That oh, awesome. Cleavers, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that that was great. Was, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, my master's is in sound design, but my master's thesis was in restaurant sound design, and uh, I had this weird split path in my life where I almost wanted to go to culinary school. Um, and I sort of realized that if I went to culinary school, I would hate it, you know, and I would start hating food. And that was, you know, I mean, look at me. So uh, <laughs> it was not an option. <laughs> uh, and so uh, 
So that's sort of how the food thing happened. So I wrote my thesis while on tour with Marvel uh, and Feld. And so it was cool because I could experience different um, restaurants. I can tell you that Josh was the minister of food on the, on the bus at Roskilde for our crew of 12. He would, he would arrive every time when we were all like just collapsed on the bus, he'd arrive with like eight hot dogs um. Yeah. So we just, yeah, we just did sound, sound person summer camp. We this is what I call it. Um, and, uh, it's at Roskilde festival in uh, Denmark and we do all eight stages and it's a place for us to experiment and do all sorts of fun things. And, uh, and it's really good for our customers cause they can go around and hear all of our systems uh, at various size stage, size stages. And it's a, it's a really an amazing uh, partnership and beautiful festival. And, uh, but we, as tech support, live on a bus and we live, breathe, work and, you know, do to work together. And we're doing shows. Sometimes the shows end at 4 a.m. And then you have to be up at 11 a.m. for the next. next or sometimes you have to be so, up at you know. 7 a.m. for Dua Lipa's uh, B stage. Yeah, B stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, having a little tubed meat, um, you know, or sausage and uh, it's a hot dog. You can call you... it whatever you want. It's, it's a, a hot friggin' dog. hot dog. <laughs> 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 tubed meat was Anthony Bourdain's thing. And I, I love that one. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they uh, having that was um, was important, especially right before you go to bed and then have to get up the next day. So. So right, Josh, Chris. yeah, Josh, you know those questions coming, so you get to answer it first, and then Bob, you can answer. So, oh, I probably don't. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? I'm a, oh, real quick. I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently for Bob, but anyway, for for Josh, if you could define <laughs> yeah, your I legacy, I don't have a legacy, <laughs> <laughs> or how you'd want, or uh, how you'd want to be known, whatever you know. How yeah, you want to yeah. be remembered, Josh? Yeah, that's what sure. I'm going to say. Uh, a collaborator, um, and I want to be a collaborator and just, you know, a good hang. I think that's super important. And, um, yeah, yeah. My a collaborator and a good hang <laughs> and knows good food, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there cool. you go. So, so Bob, I, the reason I was saying, oh, for just slightly different is that the context of many people would probably already define what your legacy is in terms of what you've done in, for, in terms of dual FFT measurements and loudspeaker things and sound system design and, you know, the green Bible and all that stuff, right? So, but for you, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, what does it look like for you? <sighs> I don't know. Um, as a wannabe guitar player that didn't make it so i had to be a sound dude um, sounds like david Morton, <laughs> was that was that related be if you had found out earlier in life that that left-handed guitars existed do you think your path would be different there you go see it would have all been different <laughs> get um, the delorean let's go back I, I think i never would have had the hair um, <laughs> for, for my era um i think that to that thoughtful question i think that my the most important thing for me is as i want to that i've been part of the community that i've um that i think that the, the 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 important decision that i made that i think was really key was there's two things to do with the mo- knowledge that we gain as human beings as we as we age and one is to hold it to yourself because you believe that holding the knowledge to yourself will provide you some strategic advantage to you as an individual. And the other is to push that knowledge out there. 
And it takes, um, it, it, when you push that knowledge out there, there's a couple things that happen. One, it can, someone else can use it and, uh, and profit from it and potentially, uh, take that away, you know, take a job away from you that you would have otherwise had if you would have held it. But the other really important thing is you push your ideas out there and you get a ping back of finding out what ideas were correct or good or, or what then became outdated or somebody else heard your idea and pinged back a variation of that, that they learned about it. And that allows you to grow and to fix uh, and to, and to, to modify your path and to share your knowledge in the community and be part of a growing community. That was the path I chose from the start was to put my, uh, these things. I knew, we, I knew we were finding areas of, of, of work that, that people didn't know because it was obvious we didn't know. And we, we were putting these tools in places that they never were. And so my th thing was put them out there. And I'll tell you, I look at how I tune systems 20 years ago and I cringe. Okay. But I, but you also know that that was the best that we had at the time with the knowledge we had and that doing that at that time led to doing what we do at this time. You had to, you have to, you can't get to where we are now without having taken that path. And as I like to say, the first slide of my seminars is I've screwed up more sound systems than you. <laughs> I, I have to ask though so I, that's amazing i appreciate the sentiment i know it's something we preach you know uh on the regular in fact i mean it's, it's probably half the reason why michael's working on the book that he's working on right now um but yeah uh did you did you ever wrestle with imposter syndrome through all of this through your career at all well certainly absolutely um especially when I went to write the, you know, the books. Um, to me, when you, when you stand up and say something to people, that's one level. Then when you go and you stand up in front of in a public place, uh, people, that's another 10 dB up from there. And when you put it in a book, that's another 20 dB because it's there, you know, it's there in writing. So you have to really, really work to make sure that you're not just pulling it out of your ass. Um, and, you know, and I it literally, I would say to, you know, in places in my book, it's like, okay, this, this is a part where I don't know, you know, I've, I've bottomed out my knowledge of why this is the best choice. But at this point, this, this is what I know about this. And not to be foolish and to say stuff that you don't know. But, um, but sure, I mean, and you 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 live you live with John Meyer, um, who you know uh, is a genius, and I've met many geniuses in my life, and he's clearly one. I mean, you can argue that you you know whether you like the product or not, but the guy's a genius, and you don't you know you live in around that, and you know he's seeing things on a level that you can see through a lot of things, but on the other hand. Um, being not a genius, um, I, I think that I'm not as, I, I have a more, I can, I can focus on a wider and more, um, I can see the practical world of everyday people um, because I am an everyday person. 
Mm. And that's always to me has been the greatest gift that I have. I always say that being raised in a family of, of a huge family, it's eight, 10 or 12, depending on how you cover the math of half brothers, <laughs> half sisters, brothers, sisters, whatever. I've always felt like I'm in a home in an arena because that's like where I grew up. <clears throat> but in any case, <laughs> what, what, what I learned from being one of the older kids was that if you're going to talk to somebody, you talk to your younger four-year-old brother, you have to talk to him in a language that a four-year-old can hear. And so that to me was the key thing that I learned in, in all this technical stuff is you've got to put it in a language that the person that is inspired right now to get into audio who didn't get inspired because they loved math. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to put it in a language that keeps them inclusive, but is real. It still has to be correct. It can't be just bullshit um, because it has to work. And um, to me, that's the thing that I try to push is, is to, is to, to keep things in a language that's useful to people that keeps them included and keeps them uh, informed and growing. And I kind of wandered off, but that was where. Yeah, that... that's amazing. It's it's. Great. Thank you so much, uh, both for what you've done for industry, for what you've imparted tonight. I, I'm you know greatly appreciated of all that. Thank you for your kind words. You're very kind. Yeah, and, and come uh, hang out. We'll post yeah. on the uh, mentorship Discord every once in a while yeah. if I'm doing something and it's possible for someone to come hang out. Come hang out. Have it. Bob, Josh, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for your time. It's been awesome to have you. We appreciate it. Yep. Bye. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us, and uh, we'll see you down the road. I really appreciate it. <laughs>